Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm sitting down with Keith Myers, as usual. I'm Bill Alpstad. Welcome into the show, Keith. Talking wide receivers today. Yep, talking wide receivers. It's a very interesting group of guys. Um, and it starts right at the very top with uh, DK Metcalf, who is skipping the um, mandatory workouts while he waits for a new contract. Yeah, and and a little bit of rehab thrown into there, and so uh, who knows if he's actually really completely excused from uh, camp, but I'm sure there's some sort of verbal agreement uh, in place uh, to where he's not going to probably get fined. This has happened in the past with the Seahawks. I saw some a little bit of overreaction, if you will, by uh, Rob Staten today as, as to why the Seahawks failed, you know, uh to sign dk medcalf and all that stuff it's it's crazy i mean they're really close in negotiations we've known that for quite some time yep and um this is just a matter of ironing out details and all that kind of stuff and maybe a couple million dollars here and there because of the the, the uh the wide receiver market has probably gone up since they first started talking about these things so they might be stuck a little bit but as we've seen before, most of the time, these things sort of get ha- uh, hammered out by the time uh, training camp rolls around at the end of July. I wouldn't be surprised if a situation like this, given the size, potential size of this contract, could last well into the first week of training camp. I don't see it going to the first game of the season where there's a holdout and all that kind of stuff. Um, and likely, this thing gets, uh, gets done in the next couple of weeks. But uh missing three days of mandatory uh camp is nothing in the larger scheme of things and quite frankly when we're talking about this kind of money and this kind of a player holding out or or staying out of camp and protecting yourself a little bit given the fact that he probably wouldn't be participating anyway um given the, the rehab situation that he's in is is a pretty smart and prudent move yeah and i think one of the things that you got to look at with in a situation like this is um nobody needs this to happen today um despite everyone like the fans want it done uh metcalf doesn't need this to happen until uh right before training camp the seahawks don't need this to happen until right before training camp right um all of that get all the guaranteed money in a contract has to go into escrow so even if it's not paid up front it's like you know guaranteed over two years well that owner's got to go then drop um you know 25 to 50 million on a contract this size into escrow they want to do that until they absolutely have to um and so these things do tend to drag and my guess is it doesn't happen till the end of july the week before training camp starts so let's back up just a hair just in case somebody is not out there paying attention to all this kind of stuff in the off season and just kind of catching this show uh dk Metcalf still has a year remaining on his rookie deal he uh, was drafted in the second round so it was a four-year deal He's had three years in the league. This is coming up on his final year of his rookie deal. This is, though, the time uh, when teams look at their premier players as far as being able to extend them and wanting to extend them. Um, 
And so why don't you run through that a little bit as to why this sort of thing happens in the first place? Well, yeah, I mean, it comes down to uh, they're in a situation now where uh, nobody wants this to go through this this year. The, the team doesn't because they don't want to get into a situation where he is um, at the end of his contract and they're looking at, you know, having to use the franchise tag or that kind of stuff. And there's so much uncertainty with the way that the, the market for wide receivers has jumped so much recently. They don't want to be there watching it jump multiple times between now and then they would prefer to get this done now. And for Metcalf, I mean, he's looking at, if he goes out in the season and, you know, blows out a knee, he could cost himself, um, you know, 50, $75 million, um, you know, if he doesn't get a new deal right now. So for him, he wants it right now so that he knows he's got that, um, you know, that guaranteed money and guaranteed money um, before he goes out there and starts putting, you know, his health on the line again. And so it just kind of works out for everyone where both sides want it done and they'll get there. It's just the market's changed quite a bit when this process began um, late last season, you know, he was looking at 18 to 20 million. Um, and, yeah, and you've kind of been there, you know, throughout the process until, you know, the, the free agency this year, Yeah, uh, you were kind of there too, thinking maybe they could squeeze him in or if they signed him right after the, the season ended, uh, like they've, they've done for a few, uh, guys, uh, Michael mm-hmm. Bennett comes to mind. Um, then maybe that would have been true, but after that free agency, situation yeah. frenzy Kyrie really Hill and um uh adams and you know just the way that the the market changed and uh 18 to 20 million is no longer going to put you you know near the top of the wide receiver uh pay scale now you're looking at uh 25 million it's gonna and even be, 25 you know, million is just top five top six yeah we're not talking good. about number one number one is uh javante adams yeah, mm-hmm. 28 million per year. We're talking, you know, 25. So I know these numbers are ridiculous and they're hard to justify for normal fans and just going, what in the heck is going on? But this is where the market is. You have to understand too the, the idea of all of the media money coming into the league in the next two or three years really balloons these things. You're going to see guys, linebackers, safeties, running backs, uh, tight ends, you name it, all those figures that you've been used to seeing for the last four or five, six years are literally going to double, you know, in the next five years, probably. Yeah. Uh, because the amount of money, uh, the salary cap is going to, is going to balloon um, from right now. It's, it's um, just over 200 million. It's going to get to close to 300 million over the next couple of years. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to see the salaries go with it. Um, and, because it really comes down to it's not the number so much as it is as the percent of the cap, and so guys are trying to get paid um, because they, you know, they want their piece of of that pie, and I don't blame them for going out and getting it. And this is an entertainment business. This is the price of entertainment. It just is. It's not like it's a regular job. It, these aren't regular jobs. They just aren't. This is part mm-hmm. of a public situation in a in a very public team that's that's got a huge owner. There's tons and tons of money available in these media deals and this is just the way it is and these are the as a society this is the this is kind of what happens in these in these you know Mm -hmm. nfl franchises baseball basketball um you name it it's just all over the place 
I will say that um, what's going to happen is you're going to see that this deal, whatever it ends up being, yeah, he'll get a big signing bonus, but that cap space is prorated over, you know, five years, um, assuming it's a five-year contract. Um, and, you know, the CX are currently sitting with uh, $46 million in dead cap. Yes, right. Space. Twenty-six million of that is Russell Wilson, um, and that forty-six million is going to come off the books at the end of the year. And so the fact that Metcalf's cap number is going to, you know, jump up by twenty million, isn't going to replace anyone that's currently on the roster because it's going to. What it's going to do is it's going to cut into that forty-six million of cap space that's clearing off the books just in dead money. And so that's where that's going to come from. And so it, yeah. they have the space to do this. Uh, what did you think of the Shelby Harris rework of a contract today? What, what happened that, there? Well, he took a pay cut um, is really what it comes down to. He's really? in the last year. They shifted it more of it into his bonus, I thought. Well, he's in the last year of his contract, so there's not really shifting it into a bonus doesn't change anything. No. Um, and so because he's, you know, if you shift it into a bonus, you, you take that money that's shifted and you prorate it over the years that are left. But since he's in the final year, that doesn't change anything. So for them to get the cap relief, he actually took a pay cut. Um, and I thought that was that was interesting. Um, how do you figure that, Keith? Talk to me about that. Tell me how that shows up on like over the cap or or whatever, wherever you'd normally look at contracts. What do you mean? Like, like, how do you figure that he actually gave up money when they just shifted money from base salary to um, to bonus money? How does that I, take money away from him? Um, they didn't just shift money from base salary to bonus money. Um, that my understanding was that uh, his cap number was dropped by um, what was it about three million dollars. Um, and since he's in the final year of his contract, the only way to do that is to actually take that money out of his salary. Um, and so that, and that his, uh, his take home this year went down um, simply by him taking the pay cut. And part so of doing that, looks, part of doing that was shifting, giving him a bunch of money right now, which essentially guarantees it's like basically giving him guaranteed salary. So he, he knows so he, only, only, he only had one year left, right? Yeah. So now he's, uh, he's, he's under contract in 2023 as well. Oh, so they did add a year. Yeah. No, I wasn't okay, familiar so I, with the deals, the but I, I just, I just clicked on here. So he's uh, got a cap charge this year of 4.7 million and next year it's 12.1. And okay. if they, if they want money, uh, cap savings relief, they could post June cut him and save $9 million while so only they, eating dead uh, money yeah. of 3.1. So they they did extend him. See, and that was the part that, that I missed because I'm like, he's in the last year of his deal. All they did was, you know, they made some money guaranteed in order to mm. convince him to take the pay cut. But if they added a year, then that shift of money into um, bonus uh, creates cap space because it takes – whatever now there's two years of the deal so that whatever money they shifted it from salary into bonus um half of that gets pushed out a year and so they get half of that money as cap space available this year um the fact that they've done that and given themselves um so now they're up to where they said about 17 million in they are space. at 17 yeah 17. um mm -hmm. and so what that does is you're like okay why would you do that now if you don't really need 
the money, you know, don't really need the cap space. Well, all you're doing is you're pushing it into next year. Um, you know, like what's going on with that? Well, what that tells you is that they knew they know they're going to need it, that there is a contract coming with someone or a trade. Um, well, most likely it's, um, well, you're right. You know, it could be a trade. It could be like a Baker Mayfield type of situation where right. they, um, where they, they go in and they bring someone in that way. But, uh, it's also possible that they're looking at, they're like, okay, we're going to get this done with Metcalf. And in order to do that, we have to fit his new contract under the cap. Uh, and so they are going to need, um, this cap space. And so they're just going ahead and getting it taken care of now. Um, so that was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically they still want, after everything is done, they're still going to want $7 million in cap space after, after that deal is done just for reserves and, um, injured reserves, et cetera. So they're at 17 now. Um, DK Medcalf's at 4.3 against the cap now. So you could add another, uh, you know, nine or 10 and you could still be, uh, kind of where you need to be. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they do a deal where he's got like a twelve to thirteen million dollar cap hit in twenty twenty two, and then it escalates from there. But they've got yeah. his, this rookie money deal uh, to work with, which help, helps them out a little bit in their first yeah, year. Yeah, because Metcalf's current cap number going into this this next year is is four point three um, million. And so, like I said before, if you um, give him, you know, let's say it's a twenty five million dollar signing bonus over five years, well, that's um, kind of increases cap number by um, by five million dollars, and so you need you need to have that plus anything that you also add as far as his base salary um, on top of that. So having you know around ten million dollars to play with um, to help get Metcalf's new deal yep. Yep. in it, it helps out, and so that's why I think this this move happened. I don't think it has much to do with um, a trade for you know. Um, a Baker Mayfield type just simply because it doesn't um, it that doesn't really help the team any and they would have to then make other moves in order to get the salary cap situation ready and it sounds it sounds like uh, you know Seattle's not even interested in Baker Mayfield unless he comes uh, cut and yep. no salary attached to that whatsoever so mm-hmm. um, Bob Condotta came out and just said you know basically they did this. Um, it is likely there's some other move, but mm-hmm. he said that they've got some time. They wanted to get this done before uh, the mini camp was over because players take off and and uh, it's much easier to do a deal when somebody is here to sign it. And and uh, so they went ahead and did it now, but they've got some flexibility before training camp to to do whatever deal is lined up. So, yeah, I'm also looking. You know, if the team decides it needs additional. Um, uh cap savings they can they can get that you know chris carson we talked about on our last show um could be cut and save 3.1 million mm-hmm. um and you know they're like puna ford still could be reworked in a way where they again they move they push the cap uh hit out into later years in order to to generate um they can do that you generate about 4 million um by by changing his uh yeah. base salary over so they there's there's additional cap room to be had if they decide they need it agreed 
The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Day Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom! You have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so let's put all the contract stuff aside and let's just talk about the player. Um, what are your expectations for DK Metcalf, given the quarterback situation, but yet improvement around the rest of the roster? Um, you've got Noah Fanton now. You've, you've possibly upgraded the offensive line, although that may take a little bit of time, um, and possibly the running back position kind of, makes it easier to run effectively. How does that impact DK Metcalf this year when his numbers last year were down from the previous year? Well, his numbers were down from the previous year because uh, Wilson got hurt and missed a few games and then was terrible for a few games while they uh, waited out, you know, him to finish uh, healing. Um, and that cut into DK Metcalf's productivity. Uh, it's not so much, it's not like he got, he became a worse player, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's God, no. around him. I mean, he had 12 um, touchdowns and almost a thousand yards uh, receiving yeah. on 75 so catches. So, yeah. And, and that's a down year for him. That's um, a down year. <clears throat> so if you're looking at productivity, uh, I mean, I, I expect him to, his numbers to go down again this, this year. And that's going to be entirely just because of the lack of quarterback play. Um, they're not going to be able to take it. Is that because of- you think he's de- more dependent on the long ball than anybody else on the roster? Or do you think that it's Shane Waldron de- is going to make the adjustments and have him work more in open space underneath? I mean, it's not so much that he's dependent on it. He's just really good at it. And you have, um, though there were those big plays that happened because he got open and Wilson got on the ball that, uh, now are going to be, well, he might get open, but Drew Locke's not going to get him the ball. Um, and so there's going to be yards left on the field uh, for Metcalf where he just doesn't have the quarterback play. Um, there's going to be situations where, um, you know, his numbers are lower because uh, the tight ends are getting a lot of catches because yeah. everything is a check down. Yeah. Um, and that's going to hurt his productivity, but it's, it's, he's still a, you know, major threat. He's still one of the top receivers in the entire NFL. And I, I expect, you know, his numbers are going to be, you know, 900 yards, 70 catches or 65, something like that. 10 touchdowns. I mean, those are, those are down from last year, which were down from the year before, but that has more to do with the quarterback play than it does him. And um, I've, I've heard, in fact, one of the local um, radio guys was saying that there's no reason why you should pay DK Metcalf if you don't have a quarterback to get him the ball. And I think that particular line of thought is kind of stupid. 
if I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, that's kind of stupid. And I'll have to disagree with you slightly. And I'll probably do this throughout the summer. And that's just the way it's going to be. And we can talk about it a little bit. But I disagree with your premise a little bit that his touches are going to go down and his opportunities are going to go down and his yards are going to go down. I think everything goes up for him, actually. I think the offense is designed to run more efficiently with these two quarterbacks, whether it's Geno Smith or Drew Locke. And, and quite frankly, Drew Locke can have a mediocre season, league average, let's just say. He has a league average uh, year. Let's just say it's 3,800 yards, maybe 4,000 yards. His completion percentage is close to 64% or whatever. Not, you know, down from Russell Wilson, but not like huge. Uh, he's got more interceptions, but he's still throwing for the yards. I That's why I still think DK Metcalf has the potential to get, you know, closer to 90 receptions as opposed to closer to 70 receptions, closer to 1,200 yards as opposed to uh, closer to seven or to 1,000. I just yeah. see that for Metcalf. I, I really do. I don't know. We see that. Uh, you see it across the league when um, a quarterback gets hurt or, you know, leaves and retires and you have a lesser quarterback, the wide receivers numbers go down. They don't go up. And that's why I don't, I, I expect Metcalf's numbers to go down. I mean, I just don't expect um, Drew Locke to be as good at getting Metcalf the ball as Russell Wilson was. So. Yeah, I mean, arguments can be made for that as well. No, no yeah. doubt about it. I just think that you know, last year when you look at it, Russell Wilson even went uh, in the first eight weeks before his injury. He just he wasn't completely like he should have been under that new offense. It just wasn't operating on all cylinders. And then when he got hurt, in addition to the to the two and a half three games he was out, he had another two or three games where he was struggling. And yeah. so he looked, he looked you look bad. at like six games in there, seven games overall, where there's just no productivity. DK Metcalf hardly caught the ball at all. So yeah, and I, you I know, don't know the the those those three games without Russell Wilson and Metcalf had no productivity. That is Geno Smith. That's the the primary mm -hmm. option uh, for who's going to take over. And the offense right was now. completely sputtering at that point. We had no run game. Everybody was playing um you know back they they had light boxes we still weren't running and and you know so it was it was challenging like the, it was challenging with, without wilson metcalf had no productivity and you're expecting that same quarterback to yeah. now be more productive i am and the reason for that <laughs> is because i'm anticipating a little bit more efficiency in this offense and the way that the offense is actually schemed to de and designed to run most effectively suits a quarterback like Drew Locke better than it does Russell Wilson. And because of that, I'm not saying that Drew Locke's the better quarterback or anything like that. I'm just saying in this particular system, if you look at it like a Jared Goff situation, and I'm not, I don't like Jared Goff, you know that. But if you look at it like that, I'm just saying that we will more than likely dink our dunk dink and dunk our way down the field this year as opposed to throwing those long balls and Shane Waldron will figure out a way to get DK Metcalf the ball that's and I, I just think that that's going to happen yeah um and that's optimistic I get it I'm an optimist about this optimistic and but I don't think it's completely out of the question I really don't I I'm just trying to be honest and and you can you have legit arguments against that I get that um I'm just looking at the optimistic side of what they're really trying to do. And if they are successful at it, I think it works out. So should we talk about what um, this DK Metcalf contract is going to look like? 
because you well yeah you and I have both have both mentioned you know 25 26 million as is kind of where we expect it to be because the market's changed um mm-hmm. but what does that look like why why are why is that the number can we um can we go through and add with that well i think uh, well i there yeah there's two reasons for me um number one dk Metcalf's age he's 24 um he won't be 25 until next year so he's 24 year old player coming off of his first contract he's exceeded expectations if you go look at his career average stats he's a top 10 wide receiver and anytime you're in the top 10 conversation as a wide receiver when your contract comes up you're going to be close to setting the market it's just the way it is it's the way that the market has has dictated uh for the last 10 years or so and um so when dk comes up he's going to be in the conversation to be at least top five and when you're at top five that means you're going to make 25 apy average per year and so you now you're going to be in that conversation whether it's 24 or 26 and it just depends on the years now is it four years or is it five years how much of it is guaranteed so that to me that's the parameters so um you sent me a thing today that said five years 130 million um 70 million guaranteed you think that you do you think that's um realistic high too low. yeah you're a neat your immediate reaction to that was wow too high and and i was thinking when i sent it to you i was thinking wow too high and then uh, we started talking a little bit and, and we both kind of ended in the idea that yeah you pay him that's kind of where the market is well you, and, the, and the reason you, right so the reason for these those last couple of questions is is that is you know i kind of got started on this and then we we backed up um to metcalf's production again um, you don't have a quarterback to get him the ball. Is he worth $27 million a year when you don't have a quarterback? And what was your point that you made to me as we kind of ended the conversation? Uh, when this team's ready to compete, he's only 25 or 24. He'll be 25 here soon. Um, when this team is ready to compete, whether it be next year, the year after that, or even at the year after that, he's still going to be in his prime. And I think that's the key, Keith, right there. I mean, yeah, that's so, you, you, you nailed it right there. And that's why you pay him. That's why you keep him. You, you go through this year. Everybody's going to have in the same boat. It's just, it's his numbers up. His contract's coming up. It doesn't mean you don't pay him because you don't have the guy in place right now that you think is going to be optimized to get him the ball. Um, you put him in place because you, he's a key component of the team that you want to take forward. If Metcalf was 29, you know, in that range age wise, and you look like, okay, by the time, this team is ready to compete. He's going to be 31, 32. Uh, and now he's, he's on that downswing where he's not going to be, you know, his, his cap number keeps going up, but his productivity and ability is going down and yeah. you go, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that this is when you trade him, but he is 24. Yeah. And like, he hasn't even reached the pinnacle yet. No, he's not even close. He's still got three years before he gets there. At least three. And that's why you pay him. I agree. That's why you pay him. It's why you keep him. I agree. And I don't think, you know, you look at Tyler Lockett's contract. What was it? 18? Tyler mm-hmm. Lockett's contract's a bargain. You know, look at his productivity and his consistency over over a long period of time. Four years, his last four years, he's almost at a thousand yards or over a thousand yards. That the the numbers, you know, are approaching a hundred catches and so forth. Uh, he's extremely efficient. He doesn't drop balls. Um, so anything that's targeted to him it, that's in his grasp, he's gonna get. Uh, he moves the chains. So the pairing him with Tyler Lockett, I think, is the best opportunity for Seattle to win 
in the future. You take a look at the importance of the wide receiver position group and how it's elevated over the course of the last 10 years. The running back situation has diminished. You got to have two guys at the top that are that are premier. And, and if you want your team to be uh, next level and just because we're missing that quarterback piece right now doesn't mean we're not going to have it, you know, within the next two years. Yeah. My biggest concern with Lockett is that he's 20. He is 29. Right. Remember, that's what I just said about about Metcalf. How old is he going to be when this team is ready to to go compete for a championship? I think you're going to have to cross that bridge. You know, you just are. You hope that you can develop D. Eskridge to kind of fill that role over, you know, the next couple of years. And when Tyler Lockett's contract comes up next time, we'll have to figure out where he's at. You know, is he mm-hmm. is he diminishing? Is he getting older? Is he missing games because of injury and so forth? Uh, it, it likely wouldn't be a four-year deal on his next contract. It would probably be a two-year deal if he stays with the team or he's going to be gone. Yeah. So behind our big two, uh, the, the, those two starters, you mentioned um, D. Eskridge and Freddie Swain. They're the only guys left on this roster that have um, experience in NFL games. Um, Freddie Swain looked surprisingly good last year as the number three option. Um, and D. Eskridge is the guy that has all the talent in the world. Um, but couldn't stay healthy and, and stay on the field uh, much. And so he is um, still kind of an unknown. Yeah. So that's the end of the list. Is- I'm still excited about it. You know, I'm still excited about this wide receiver room, even though those guys have really yet to kind of prove themselves. Now, Freddie Swain, you can say, well, at least I could say, we may have seen kind of where Freddie Swain is going to be as a pro now. Um, yeah. He's going to be that guy that has – 25, 30 catches a year, uh, four touchdowns and some clutch plays on third down and so forth. And some surprise plays that come up once in a while because he's single covered. Uh, D. Eskridge, however, is a different type of player. D. Eskridge is a guy that's going to be able to operate in space for you. He's a home run threat anytime he catches the ball. He just hasn't had that opportunity yet. Yet last year he came in with a little toe injury. He he had in mini camp, came in to regular um, camp. Uh, in July and wasn't ready. And so he didn't get any of the reps. He came into the the season in the first game at the end of that game, ended up with that major concussion, kept him out for the additional seven games after that. And that took him a while to even work in. So he ended the the year with 12 or 15 catches or whatever, and a couple runs um, and really just no productivity whatsoever. So we really don't know what he looks like. It's it. He didn't get the ball in space. Uh, last year so we didn't even see any electricity from him at all but he, it's there he's got it you go back and look at that tape um from is it was south dakota state um he was just or western michigan he was just um electric and that's why they drafted him and i and he's still that player and so shane waldron's got himself a nice little piece there and i think this year he just really explodes one of the things when i was when i was looking at everything getting ready for this show that surprised me is that Eskridge, who has had one year of barely playing, is older than DK Metcalf. Yeah, I know. Oh, that was one of the rubs about D. Eskridge uh, coming out. And I think he fell just a little bit in that draft um, just because of the age factor. Yeah, and DK was crazy. I think, what, 21 years old or 20 when he was drafted? Mm -hmm. That's that's highly unusual. But yeah, D. Eskridge is kind of league average right now for a second-year player, maybe a year older than, than normal. Um, what do you think about Freddie Swain, Keith? I I mean, I don't 
he's never going to be, um, you know, a star, uh, but he was really steady. He caught the ball. He got open. He's got separation. I think, um, you know, saying he's 25 catches a year is, is underselling him a little bit. I think, um, 40, 45 is, is, is where he, um, you know, his ceiling is and, and, and where we're going to see him, um, once this offense is really rolling because he, he was very steady with his, um, his ability to catch the ball. He didn't drop things. He created separation. He just did a lot of the little things. He was a chain mover. And um, I know we're talking a lot about age, but he's only 23 right now. Mm-hmm. He also was extremely young when he was drafted. Um, and so he's still improving to say that this we're seeing who he's going to be. And that's all, you know, we're, he's reached kind of his ceiling. I don't think that's, true i mean not one of your guys that i think that that i think that to your point about the opportunity to catch 40 balls a game or a year uh with freddie swain okay i accept that you got to look at last year's offense last year's offense was crazy and inefficient i mean how many three and outs did we have we killed ourselves on drives we couldn't sustain anything that's why um dk medcalf's numbers were down etc including the the injury but beyond that um, we just didn't have as many offensive plays. You take a look at the um, the average uh, time of possession last year. It was horrendous in favor of the opposing team. Um, and our defense was on the field constantly. And so well, if we can defense, somehow reverse that, Keith. It wasn't just that the defense was on the field constantly. The defense couldn't get off the field. That as well. It's not yeah. it's, it's not all on, on how inefficient the offense was. It, the defense it, it, absolutely, simply couldn't you're get stopped. You're right. And so that needs to change in order for guys like Deskridge and Freddie Swain to be able to have opportunities and DK Metcalf mm-hmm. to potentially get to, you know, 100 receptions. You can't do that if, if you're operating that way. Um, the other player I want to talk about before the draft picks is Marquise Goodwin. Uh, we picked up Marquise Goodwin um, in, uh, just a few weeks ago as kind of an add-on, a guy with speed. It's been known to have speed for, for a while. He's been in the league for, what, nine years He's 31 years old. He's 5'9", 179. He's not going to be, you know, your number one right receiver out on the edge, but he is going to compete for that slot spot that we've got um, that we think Deeskridge is going to be uh, involved with and so forth. What do you think of the Marquise Goodwin signing? Do you think he has a legit shot to stick on the roster, or do you think this was just a veteran filler move that they sometimes make in the offseason? I think it was a veteran filler move that he needs injuries to happen in order to make the roster because – um well, yes he does have speed at 59179 um he doesn't have the size to really take advantage of it he's going to be outlinked by any cornerback that's covering him um and at 31 you know he doesn't have that speed that he did you know if you're looking at his combine numbers um whereas a guy like Penny Hart who's been with the team for a couple of years knows the offense is only 25 and they're they're the same player um same size same ability to get deep but lacking um you know any kind of length whatsoever so i just think that penny hart's got the inside track on that spot and and a guy like goodwin is basically hoping somebody gets hurt for him to make the roster interesting yeah we'll see we'll see let's talk about the other guys and then we can see if maybe marquis goodwin fits in there or not Uh, a couple of guys that they drafted keith uh bo melton out of rutgers Mm -hmm. i'm hearing good things about him in camp they really like him 511 191 age 23 he's got the ability to do the run after catch stuff he's got the ability to do some of the jet sweep things i think he ran a 43 
4340 and Derek Young. Kind of a uh, kind of a wide receiver with a running back body. Uh, I mean, not really in terms of at 191. You're like, okay, he's not going to play running back, but he has that like lower center of gravity, stocky leg kind of build mm-hmm. that that you'd expect from a running back. Um, but at 191, he plays receiver, and so he's a guy that they want will want to get. Uh, the ball on jet sweeps or get him on the screen play something short let him let him do some work after he get they get the ball in his hands because he has the ability to do some really special things um out in the open field yeah who's the uh the senior bowl director guy uh nagy uh nagy came on like uh, espn radio here in in seattle um a week ago or so and mentioned bo melton as being a guy that he thought was a great steal for the Seahawks in the seventh round or the sixth round, wherever he went. Um, and he felt like he was going to go in the fourth or fifth round. And um, just because he went to Rutgers and so forth and his production wasn't good there, he thought he, he fell. But talent-wise, he was at the Senior Bowl, thought he was a, a, a special player. And then Derek Young at a Lenore Rhine, 6'2", 224 pounds, is kind of an interesting guy for me. They brought him in early in the pre-draft process is one of their 30 visits and they went ahead and drafted him. Uh, that tells you a, a lot about the, uh, the way that they like him. And, um, so I'm interested to see if he turns out at all, you know, you, you has, haven't really wasted too many, you haven't wasted your picks picking these guys at this mm-hmm. spot in the draft. And if they can turn out, even one of them turns out and ends up being a great special teams player for a couple of years while he develops, um, that's, that's a good pick. Well, and at 6'2", 224, I mean, he's got that, um, he's got the size, right? He's not, not, he's tall, but he's also got, you know, kind of that build where he can um, go be a gunner on special teams, or if he does get on the field on the offense, where he can be that deep threat for you um, and kind of take where Metcalf doesn't have to be that deep threat on every play. Like you can, you can have Metcalf do more, uh, things simply because you've got a guy like Young out there who has those uh, measurables to put that same pressure on the defense. So after that, Keith, we've just got a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. Penny Hart, you know, you can you can you can make a little case for Penny Hart. He's been up on the roster a couple different times in the last couple of years from Georgia State, 5'8", 180. To me, he's just a guy. I mean, he really didn't he's show just, yeah. tremendous burst or tremendous ability to like be lightning in a bottle or anything like that um i know that they like him just because he's a consummate pro he works hard in practice um you know he's a good practice player and all that kind of stuff um aaron fuller Cade johnson a little bit of interest on Cade johnson we could talk about that cody thompson uh deontes alexander is a guy that they picked up uh in the offseason out of a college called franklin college of indiana i kid you not that's the first time i've ever heard of that college and i've been following football for my entire life and then kevin Casas, montana state is a rookie uh, free agent pickup he's six foot 197 yeah um a couple things that i like because if it feels like um it feels like uh Cade thompson's um been around Kate johnson or not um cody thompson has been around oh, this okay. team forever um but he's he's technically got one year of experience but he's 26 right. Yes. Um, he's, he's an older prospect and I, I think he's kind of getting to that point where if he doesn't make the team this year, he is probably out of chances because, um, you've got a guy like Cade Johnson who they picked up last year as an undrafted 
uh, guy who was a draftable talent. I mean, it was it was quite unexpected that he went um, undrafted, but they were able to get him, and he's there, kind of um, going to be pushing for for a roster spot this year. And so, if um, if Cody Thompson doesn't get that that roster spot, I could see them moving on and not even having him on the um, practice squad because you've got guys like Kate Johnson hanging around and, and they're ready to like take that spot from them. Is there anything that you can look at on this entire room about size, height, weight, speed that gives you any indication as to what they, what they try to do, what they want to try to do um, as a complete roster? I don't know. One of the things that I do like about the way they've got this roster put together is that they've got, um, they've got different skill sets. They've got different um, prototypes, right? You've got the Metcalf and the young um, and even Cody Thompson that are, you know, six, four, six, two, six, two. But you've also got a bunch of guys that are like five, eight, five, nine, uh, five, 10 for that are slot guys. And then you've got, you know, the Freddie Swain, um, and the yeah. Bo Melton group that are right around six foot. So you've got three different kind of archetypes. It doesn't seem like they're pigeonholed and, oh, well, we need this particular kind of receiver the way that uh, Mike Holmgren used to do where he had a type and anyone that wasn't part of that type just had no business being on his roster. Um, you know, they, they have a very diverse group of talent and I think they're ready to take advantage of each of the those types as you know, in different roles within the offense. And they're not going to be like, oh, everyone has to do everything because, you know, you're, why are you asking your five foot eight guy to do uh, the same things that you'd be asking DK Metcalf to do at six, four? Like that doesn't make a lot of sense either. Okay. So uh, last uh, couple of questions. Um, if you had to pick five out of this list to, to be the, on the final roster, who would they be? And what does success look like to you this year out of this group? Uh, so my five are going to be obviously uh, Metcalf, Lockett, Eskridge, and Swain. That's the four. And then if I'm going to pick another one, I'm probably going to go Bo Melton um, because I think he offers uh, as a punt returner um, that he's you know offers the ability to be um, a really good player there and, and a, a special teams contributor. I think sixth would be Derek Young. Um, and his ability to be a gunner and contribute on special teams that way. Um, as far as expectations from this group, honestly, it's so much of it depends on quarterback play and even like the off how quickly the off the two new offensive tackles um, acclimate to the NFL from switching from college. And if they can get um, those guys up to speed and the quarterback play isn't completely incompetent, you know, this is a pretty good group. I mean, they're four deep at the start and then you've got a bunch of talent that they that doesn't need to come in and contribute right away they can develop these people properly over time um the guys like bo melton and drake young so uh i think that there's a lot of talent here i'm actually i'm with you in the excitement for this group but part of the reason why it works is because you have metcalf and lockett at the top mm -hmm. uh, if you didn't have one of those guys and you're looking at at this group, you'd be like, wow, this team's hurting for wide mm -hmm. receivers. Mm -hmm. So those two I guys agree. better not get hurt. They, they've got to stay healthy. And, I, and that's true for most teams. Um, do, I'm going to bring you back to this multiple times probably before the season. So when you look at Shane Waldron, 
and you look about what they want to do as an offense, how they want to operate the offense and so forth, and you take a look at our two quarterbacks, is there an opportunity for somebody to really step up this year um, in a way that we're maybe not anticipating? Noah Fant. <laughs> None of so the you way. went out. You went outside of this group. Not even. I went Eskridge, outside of this huh? group. No, uh, I mean Eskridge is going to get his going to get going to get opportunities. He's obviously going to do more than he did last year, which was next to nothing. But um, he's going to have the opportunity because he's such a dynamic athlete and and his you know start stop ability and his speed and all those things. Like he's going to do exciting things. Um, so I'm expecting him to kind of break out a little bit. But overall. Um, if anyone is going to benefit from the downgrade in quarterback that the Seahawks have done, it's going to be the tight ends. It's going to be because Wilson was really, really good at getting the ball outside to his receivers. One of yeah. the absolute best, but he was genuinely not good at getting the ball to his tight ends and, and in the middle of the field and underneath and, and those kind of things. That's just not who he was. And now when they go to a check down, you know, um, dink and dunk, whatever, mm -hmm. the tight ends are going to explode because they're going to get way more opportunities. And I think that's going to cost the wide receivers a lot of opportunities. And that's why I think, that's why I'm I'm I say Noah Fant's going to be the breakout guy. I agree with you on Noah Fant, no no doubt. I also think that your same argument can be said um to set up D Eskridge to have a monster year as well. Um, when you talk about checkdowns, you talk about slot inside receivers taking advantage of the middle, open space, and so forth. He's primed to be able to do that as well. He can feed off some of that Noah Fant energy that's going on. Noah Fant's going to pull maybe a safety and a linebacker together, and and Eskridge can kind of come underneath a little bit. Um, that's you know who who knows how this is going to play out. I'm just saying a guy like D. Eskridge in, in this offense has an opportunity. Um, I think that's understated a little bit. Cool. Nice list. I like it. I mean, one through six or seven, there's an opportunity there for, for some, some guys The the team has kept as little as four wide receivers in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know with this group, if you can do anything less than five, but it really depends on how many offensive linemen, how many running backs and how many tight ends they keep on the roster too. So, um, We'll see. We'll we'll make up. Uh, we'll have a roster show towards the end of training camp. We'll try to figure it all out. But um, I like I like this room. I think it's it's kind of dynamic. I I haven't really kind of been this excited about the fifth, sixth, seventh guys to find out who they are, what they can do, how they can add to the mix um, in in quite a while. So, all right. Anything else? No, that's it. Let's. Um... Let's get out of here. Call this a show, and uh, we'll, you know we'll be back next time. Yeah, excellent. Find Keith on uh, Twitter, Myers NFL. Find me at NWC Hockey. You can find the show on your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and share it. Thanks. Take care. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.